I sat in a seat that was in the direct sunlight and it was like Saturday melting like a candle the entire day. But I think it's amazing that 560 people gave their lives to Christ. Amen. And when you think about that, you know, they didn't just receive Christ, they received the entire inheritance that went along with it. Their names got written into the Lamb's Book of Life. All their sins got washed away. They were made a new creation in Christ. And not even that, um, as I was thinking about this this week, God could have made anybody. He could have formed anybody. He could have spoke anything into existence. But he chose people like you and I to be his one and only son's bride. And when you think of that, it's such an honor when you receive Christ into your life and what he actually does in and through you. My identity in Christ really has to come from a renewed mind. I have to start thinking differently after I receive Christ into my life. Because if I don't, what's going to happen is that um, my old way of thinking, my old identity is going to start to affect the new creation that God had created me to be. So when we start to receive Christ into our lives and we start to walk out this relationship with Him, I want to get to the point where I actually, when I look into the face of Christ, when I look at Him, I actually see a family resemblance going on. See, we have to start acting better than what we think we are. And that's not presumptuous. It's just positional. It's who Christ made us to be. So today we're going to talk about our glorious inheritance. Because it's difficult to fulfill your destiny when you lack proper identity. Okay? I found that the more that I start to understand what I have inherited in Christ Jesus, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, but the more you start to understand what you have received in Him, the better you start to understand what your spiritual destiny and his plan for your life is all about. <clears throat> See, I used to think that it was trying to fulfill some kind of ministry, um, trying to gain some kind of access or some spiritual goal. And even though I work with the E-Kids and I do treasure hunts, I do those kind of things, they don't really define who I am in Christ. They're just activities that I do. Because my real definition of who I am in Christ actually comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes out of a point where I pursue Him. I fall in love with Him. I desire Him. See, the more I desire Him, the, the more intimate our relation, my relationship with Him becomes, and the more intimate my relationship becomes with Him, He starts to re release things to my life, and He starts to clarify what direction I'm supposed to go in. See, greater access into the kingdom of God is always found through a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ because he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. He's the filter that we must pass through. So if we want to get deeper into the kingdom, we have to go through an intimate relationship with him. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You see, we're actually we're made for God's glory. And he calls us by his name. When I was born, I was given a nickname. My family loved nicknames. But I got mine a few days after I was born. And my name was Wally Bird. And the reason why I got that name is because I was a preemie. And they said when they were feeding me, I looked like a little bird in a nest being fed. 
it's kind of funny because my, I was sitting with Jenny, our daughter, a little while ago, and she's going to be studying in England next year for the entire year. And she says, and we were planning maybe going to visit her and some other relatives there when we, next year sometime. She said, when you come, he says, don't have them call you Wally. He says, have them call you Wallace. I'm going, and Jenny likes to play these little games, you know. She, so they're like little games where you have to kind of guess what she's talking about. And I said, well, why? She goes, because in England, if they call you a Wally, you're an idiot. <laughs> So I was so thankful my parents didn't move to England because then I would have been um, an idiot bird or a dodo bird. <laughs> so, you see, it's not, it's not what men call you, it's what God calls you that's really what's important. So, it also says that in Isaiah that he will share his glory with no one. And I got good news. You're not nobodies. You're sons and daughters of the king. And he loves to share his glory with you. In fact, he shared his glory with you so that you could fill the whole earth with his glory. Right. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Because we were made for his glory, and to carry this amazing inheritance, I wanted to take this time to dive into how do we carry it? How do we discover it? You know, he gave us keys to the kingdom, but I don't think there were a set of trophies that we got when we accepted Christ into our life. I think what he actually did, he gave us the keys to the kingdom, and then, this is just my opinion, then he put us at the, at the gate of the kingdom and says, go for it. I gave you keys to the rooms. I gave you the keys to the kingdom. Go out and explore the kingdom. Go look what I have given you as my inheritance. So I came up with three, two questions and a, little, and a little phrase. And the first one is, um, God, what do you think of me? This is how we're going to discover it. Because the, the relationship that we have here on earth is different than a relationship that we have in heaven. See, on earth here, what happens when you get an inheritance somebody has to die and release that inheritance to you. In, in the kingdom reality, it's backwards. You have to die to yourself, and then the, then, the, then the inheritance is released to you. So God, what do you think of me? So we're going to start discovering how to, how to accept the inheritance that he has given us. Your glorious identity is not found in how others see you, but in what God calls you. I can tell you that what God thinks of you is a lot better than what you think of yourself. And it also says that God's thoughts about you are more than the sands of the sea. And I think he put that in there because he wanted to tweak our curiosity. He wanted us to provoke a question. God, you have all these thoughts about me. Can you share one or two of them? And one or two thoughts from the throne room of God about who you are can transform your life. He's not going to say, hmm, well, I had a really good thought about you yesterday, but today just can't think of anything. He's not going to do that because he's a good God and he gives good gifts to his children. He says, ask him. Just give him, you know, throw out the question sometimes when you're in your, in your prayer time with him and say, God, what are your thoughts about me today? You see, it's important to know 
what God calls you because you can form your identity around what he calls you instead of what you call yourself and what man calls you. In Genesis 32, starting with verse 22, it says, But Jacob rose up that night and took his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the brook. Also he sent over all that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing upon me. The man asked him, What is your name? And in shock and realization, Jacob whispered, My name is Jacob. Supplanter, schemer, trickster, swindler. And he said, Your name shall be no more Jacob, the supplanter, but Israel, prince with God, contender with God, for you have contended and have power with God and with man, and you have prevailed. You see, Jacob had to wrestle with God in order to get the blessing that he needed, to, that he needed in his life. Wrestling with God or asking God questions and trying to work it out will, will give you a, an identity that you didn't know that you really had before. Jacob's blessing didn't come in, a, in riches. It came in a new name that actually transformed his life from a swindler to a son. But sometimes you have to wrestle that out because sometimes you carry this identity. Jacob had this identity for years and years and years. He was a swindler. He, tricks to, he tricked his own brother. He, he had this identity that he just couldn't get rid of until God spoke into his life. And he says, ah, that's who I was really created to be. Question number two. Who do you think Jesus is? Who you see Jesus as will set the boundaries of who he can be through you. If you think Jesus can't heal, then you're probably not going to see very many people healed when you pray for them. Because you've set the boundary in your own spirit of what he can do. In Matthew 16, it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose here on earth will be loose in heaven. See, Jesus asked the question, who do they say that I am? And I don't think he really cared what they thought, because he already knew that some of them wanted to kill him. So he asked it was a kind of like a setup to ask the second question, who do you say that I am? Because he wanted to set a contrast of what the world would think, but what true followers of Jesus Christ would think. You see, when you have a, when you have a distorted image of who Christ is in your life, it will limit your ability to accept the inheritance that he desires to give you. And I'm going to be honest for a minute, because 
I think we all struggle with this. Sometimes when I've been on a treasure hunt, you come across a person that's in a wheelchair, and you know, you've all seen them, and they're like this. They're all contorted. And I'm like racking my head. I'm going, no. No, God, I just don't have the faith for that one, you know. Because I don't always believe that he can do exactly what he says he can do through me. And then you walk away, and I get disappointed in myself. I say, at least I should have tried. But I know the only way that I'm going to break through those barriers of being able to see a person like that come out of the wheelchair made whole in the name of Jesus is that if I do keep trying, if I do chip away at my unbelief to the point that I get to the point that I actually see a breakthrough through it. Time spent, I love soaking with Jesus, okay? So I love time spending that, just that time on my way to work. I got a half an hour, and that's where I spend a lot of time just, okay, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? And I've come to find out that when you set time apart, you know, he's in you, he's through you, he's around you. But when you set time apart, a quiet time, what happens is that you start to form an intimate relationship with him a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And when you form a deeper, deeper, intimate relationship with him, you start, like any relationship, you start to get to know who he is even more and more. So you start getting a revelation of who Jesus is. Because Christ is in us, the more revelation you have of Jesus, the more God can move through your life because now you have a greater revelation working through you. Increased revelation has, a tr- has the ability to transform your life. See, it's hard to imitate somebody that you, or reflect somebody that you don't spend time with. His reflection, his reflection should become our new identity. Because he's it. He's everything. Number three. How I respond to opportunity reveals my relationship. How I respond to opportunity reveals my relationship. Jesus and Martha were standing together. Martha, I'm just imagining, was on his left side. And they're looking at a large stone that had been rolled across the tomb. And Martha was a little ticked off because it took Jesus four days to get there. And she knew if Jesus would have been there four days ago, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And there's people crying all around. And Jesus is getting a little emotional himself. But they stand there, and they're looking at the stone. And Jesus does one of this to Martha. Hey, Martha, let's roll the stone away. And Martha goes, but Jesus, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and he stinketh. (laughs) And Jesus said something amazing at that time. He looked over at Martha and says, Martha, Didn't I tell you that if you only believed, you would see the glory of God? 
You see, it's not normal. It's not normal when you go out and you pray with somebody and you find somebody who's had their leg amputated below their knee. And if you lay your hand on them, that God's going to miraculously grow a new leg back. That's not normal thinking. It's not normal thinking if I see somebody who's been in a wheelchair for, for 15 years and hasn't moved, but if I go over there and lay my hands on them and pray in the name of Jesus, that that person is going to be whole instantly and get up and start walking. That's not normal thinking. It's not normal to see somebody who was born with cerebral palsy and to believe that if you lay your hand on them and declare that that disease has to leave in Jesus' name, that that disease will leave instantly and that person will be made whole. That's not normal thinking. But it is normal Christianity. And we have to come to the point that we start to understand that what we have inherited in Christ Jesus is not normal to the rest of the world around us. It's not normal to look at a tombstone that a man has laid there for four days rotting away and still see life. That's not normal thinking. And Jesus wanted so badly to work with Martha's faith. She said, Martha, if you only would have believed me, you would have seen something glorious take place. But Martha didn't have the faith in order to, for Jesus to work with. So Jesus had to go to plan B. And plan B was this. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. That's plan B. That's a great plan. <laughs> because what happened is, Jesus couldn't work with Martha's faith, so his plan B was, Daddy, I have a job here to do, and I know that you hear me, and I know that you hear me, and you always hear me, so you and I, Dad, let's do this together. See, sometimes, Sometimes when you go out and you pray with people, the person that you're praying with thinks you're absolutely ridiculous. They have zero faith. They don't think what you're going to do is going to happen no matter how hard you pray and how long you pray. I prayed with a lady one time who had a knee injury. And her husband stood there. They, had, they were an older couple, and they had two grandkids with them. And I was praying for this lady for God to heal her knee out on the streets of Rochester, and nothing happened. We had our little team just all lay hands on this knee, and nothing happened. And I said, well, let's pray again. And the husband of this lady goes, well, you prayed once. You prayed once. If it didn't happen the first time, it's not going to happen again. And something stirred up in my spirit, and I looked at him, and I said, you know what? Sometimes Jesus had to pray twice, and we're going to pray again. And we declared her to be healed, and the lady got set free from the pain and the injury that she had in her knee. You see, you see, sometimes you're going to have to, if you want to carry God's glory, sometimes you're going to have to step outside your own comfort zone, outside your own box, where the glory of God actually resides. And you're going to have to see those things that look impossible as an opportunity for God to move. See, I don't want to see a tombstone when I can see an opportunity. Martha didn't pass this test. But Jesus said something afterwards. He says, do this anyways, Father, so that those who are here will know that you have sent me, even though they lack the faith at this moment. 
When we embrace our identity in him, we increase our awareness of what he can do in and through us. In Hosea 4.6 it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We, we hear that one a lot. We've, we all probably know it. But that word knowledge has been kind of watered down in the English translation. It's the best that they could do, but it's kind of watered down. There's a Hebrew word that means yada, Y-A-D-A, yada. And that yada word actually means an intimate encounter, an experiential encounter that has the ability to reproduce itself. So if you read it with that kind of understanding, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of an intimate encounter that has the ability to re reproduce itself through you. Mary, can we just have you come up and just play just for a moment? I just one more little testimony story and then I'm going to close. I had, to be, I had the honor of sharing some of my life's journey with the teenagers a few months back. I'm just going to share a little snippet of that testimony now. And in the early 1990s, I went through a very interesting divorce. It wasn't like your normal divorce or you know, and none of them are good, that's for sure. If I was to give you one word to explain my ex-wife, it would be genius. She's probably the most intelligent lady I've ever met on the planet. She had a master's degree in special education. She read everything that, wa that floated by her. And she knew topics that I didn't even understand myself. But she had a very difficult childhood. If you ever read a, the book, A Child Called It, that was her childhood. It was very abusive. So after she graduated with her master's degree, she got a job going into people's homes where she had to counsel and teach kids that came from very similar lifestyles that she was actually pulled out of. A few months into this, something started to change. Something kind of broke. And I didn't understand it at first because strange things started to happen. And I came home from work one day and I had a note on the table that says, I've taken the children, we're going into hiding and you'll never see them again. And this would happen a few more times over the next month or so. And my world was rocked completely upside down. I didn't know what to do. I'd only been a Christian for like a year and a half, and I'm facing this huge battle, and I don't even know which way to turn. About six to eight weeks into it, I get at work, a police officer brings my divorce papers to me. So I have to get a lawyer, and I happen to found the most amazing lawyer on the planet, a Christian man who let me pray, and we just sought God for every move that we did. 
about two weeks into after this, I get a call from my lawyer saying, um, I have some news. They, they found your wife in her car in an abandoned parking lot, unconscious, with a massive overdose. And she's in intensive care. But you can't go visit her because, and this was at the same hospital that I worked at, because you were on the list of people who can't see her. And this would happen a few more times. The dust would settle after a few months and my wife would get visitation rights, supervised visitation rights on Fridays for four hours. And those four hours became my time. So I would take those four hours and I would go over to the church that I belonged to at that time and, I would, and it would be empty. I would turn the lights on really low over the altar. I desperately wanted to be up in the presence of God, but I knew I was a loser. I knew that I had failed as a father. I failed as a husband. And why would God want me up front near him? So I would sit in the very last pew and I would say all the prayers that I could think of repent of everything I could think of, and since I had a Catholic background, I even threw a couple Hail Marys in there, just to be safe. And then I would move up a few more seats and go through the whole process again and move up a few more seats, till finally I would find myself face first in front of the altar, just worshiping God. Next Friday would come and I would repeat that whole process again and again and again for about two or three months. And then one, and then one week, it was just one of those weeks that were just horrific. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. I was homeless. I had to live in a hotel room for a while so I could reestablish a place to live. And I was desperate. I was desperate for an encounter with God. So I came to the church that Friday and I turned the light on. And I didn't want to sit in the back seat anymore. I didn't want to sit there and grovel my way up to God's presence. So I said, God, I know I'm not worthy, but here I come anyways. And if I die coming up into your presence not ready, then I die. It didn't matter anymore. All I know I needed his presence and to be soaking in his presence. I worshiped God for four hours. And when I got up, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day. And he said, you know what, Wally? You're gonna have your children back in your home full time. And I said, all of them? He says, yeah all of them. You see, God couldn't speak to me when I was sitting in the pews, going through my whole life of everything that I had done wrong, because if he would have spoke to me at that time, he would have been feeding the lie, and I would have, think, I would have started to think that's what I need to do to gain favor with God. But instead, he, realized, he waited till I had 
as a son of God, the boldness to go into the throne room of God and lay down and say, here I am, God. Do what you need to do. I'm out of options, but just do what you need to do. And when I did that, there was no boundary lines. And he spoke to me, and he gave me an identity that I didn't know if it was gonna exist or not. I had to wait a year before that word was fulfilled, but I walked that year in a new kind of attitude, a new type of um, joy. I would go to court singing and praising his name. I'd come home, even though I lost in court, singing and praising his name. I had things that were called, I call the teens, I think we, I called them Holy Spirit explosions. I don't know for another name. I'd be driving the car with the windows down, worshiping God, and all of a sudden, then I'm I'm like, ooh. Hope nobody heard that. It's like, ooh. I said, okay, God, what's that all about? He goes, I'm just reminding you. I'm reminding you how much I love you. You see, my identity is not found in how others see me. It's found in what God calls me. He calls me his son. And who you see Jesus as will set the boundaries of who he can be through you and how you respond to the opportunities that he gives you each and every day will reveal the relationship that you carry with you. Today is very simple for me as far as what we're gonna do. We have a song that the sound booth is gonna play. But we're gonna have the prayer team come up over here if you need somebody to pray over you, then you can go over here. But if you just wanna spend time with Jesus, just lay on your face and say, God, what do you think of me? Because what I think about myself isn't very good sometimes. So I need a new identity. And I want it to be the way that you think of me, not the way that I think of myself. And I want to expand my life so that when I have the opportunity that I represent you with an inheritance and the glory that you have asked me to carry into the kingdom and into this world, and I want to get a new vision. I want to get a new vision of who you are through me. I want to carry something different that I haven't carried before. So that's it. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd be more than happy to speak to you about that and, and to introduce you to my friend Jesus and just to give you a little opportunity to hear a little bit more about him. So if you have never received Christ into your life and you'd like to talk about that, I'll be up here and you can come see me. But right now we're gonna close. I'll have the sound booth play the song. You're released. Um, if you're new here at the Connection Cafe, if you wanna meet some of the people here, go out the doors, make a left. But try to keep this area up here just kind of for those who wanna come up and just spend some time in his presence. We're just going to play that song through one more time and 
And we're just going to pray right now. Touch the hearts of those that are here, that you would give them boldness, even in their times of difficulty, just to go into the throne room of God and to seek you out. You're an awesome friend, Jesus. We ask that you anoint those that go out this day, and may they see signs and wonders. May their hearts be open. And may they hear the opportunities that you have for them. May you give them grace and fill them with your amazing love as you touch the hearts of those that they come in contact with this week. May you fill their hearts with a desire and a compassion to seek you out, to fall deeply in love with you, how could you love to surrender your, their all to you? May you give them wisdom and knowledge. I and Lord, we just God, thank you. We thank you for those who gave their lives to you last week. And may Still you just continue to do a good work through us name. and in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's hard.